Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Klepp, your host, and with me today are your two co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hello, hey, hello. Yeah, I'm, there. I'm sort of here. I'm inside with the AC on because it feels like 114 outside. Summer in New Orleans. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's over 100 degrees where I'm at, and I'm not in New Orleans. You're so. not in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's been a summer, but no, I'm good. I'm here, you know, happy it's Friday. I'm ready for the weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. And we got Wailu. Hey, why? Don't want I, Caleb? I don't. Got any snow? Why? We had a little bit of snow, not enough to actually for it to form the ground or anything, but the kids ran out, well, ran to the window and had a look, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, so funny. Window? Yeah. We, we would love to have your cold right now. And I think you said you would love to have our heat, right? You yeah. Know, grass is always greener. Yeah. Yeah. It's only a matter of time, though. <laughs> only right. a matter of time. Mm. So, and I won't be mowing the lawn. I'll be blowing the snow. Got to do something. All right. Let's bring on our guest. Welcome back, Michael Jolly. Thanks hey. for having me. Well, thanks to come back and see us. We didn't treat you too badly, I guess. I'm assuming that mistakes were made in the scheduling. And <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean. <laughs> Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Last time we hey, had you on, it was episode 32. We talked about containers, things like oh, yeah. that. So yeah, that was a good show. If our listener was going to listen to it, I'll put a link to the old show in the in the show notes. So check it out. So what are you doing these days, Michael? So I think uh, when I was here last, I worked for Vonage doing communication API stuff. But now I'm over with DeepGram. We do voice-enabled AI stuff. It's a lot of speech to text and some other goodness that we've got coming out. But really empowering developers to take their voice applications to the next level. So for accessibility reasons, so you think about you're watching a live stream or a YouTube video, being able to see live captions without someone having to actually sit there and transcribe, or even using like voice data you already have. So if you have customer service that tells you you're being recorded for quality assurance, they can go back and Instead of someone actually listening to all those audio files, we can actually process those, get transcriptions, and help you improve your sales processes, customer service processes. There's a lot of use cases for voice. I mean, I'm sure you guys are, are telling Siri to do stuff and Alexa to do stuff. Yeah. Yep, we it's got just, Alexa, we got Siri, we got Google Assistant, we got all all these guys. There's tons of them. And so, so we're trying to help make that more accessible to more developers. I think the voice tech is um, is exciting. I, I am starting to use it more and more. But I think it's still a little bit, like the ones I have now, are still a little bit clunky. Like I feel like a lot of times it, it, it's still that delay like, of like a couple of seconds where it hears you. It would be good once it gets to a point where it can literally reply like instantaneously. So I feel like you're you're making my sales pitch for me because that's <laughs> literally our one of our differentiators. If you, if you talk about transcribing audio real time, 
some of the bigger providers kind of talk in terms of a second, two second response time. Mm-hmm. We talk in terms of hundreds of milliseconds or, or milliseconds, awesome. basically. It's, it's 200 milliseconds response time, 300 milliseconds. It's, it's pretty impressive, the performance gains we've got on that. Yeah, okay. So is that because it's doing it like on the device itself? Like, so we, I thought, I thought, I thought yeah, one of the big difference is we use the GPU. We, we run mm. all that processing on a GPU. So it's a lot faster. And mm. all of our code is just super optimized uh, with some NVIDIA GPUs to just power just amazing throughput of streams and, and ability to fully utilize that multi-threading of the GPU. Is it right. .NET based? No, it's not. I think most of it's <laughs> written in Rust, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we do have Azure speech-to-text. We could go that route if you wanted to done that. So I've used that before. I have used that before. And it's it's very much what I was talking about, where it's seconds. You got the delay. Yeah, you yeah. got a delay there. Yeah. We had, it's been, it's been a few weeks, but we had a guest on who has issues with like carpal tunnel, right? We've all had issues with our hands and fingers. He was using, I don't think it was Dragon, naturally speaking, but he was using something. He was trying it out to actually like write for him. So I'm curious if if that's something that DeepGram could do at some point. That would be interesting. Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of people don't think about when they're using those kind of applications is the the model, the machine learning models that are, are basically doing this work, right? They're basically dictionaries of words that they know and sounds and that sort of stuff. Well, pretty much with everybody, you get kind of these like generic models that they've been training and building, right? One of the things that DeepGram allows you to do is build a custom model for your application. So, so for instance, you imagine, imagine you're in the medical field, there's terminology you use there that is completely different than someone would use in a meeting or a Zoom call or customer service, right? Domino's, somebody ordering a pizza over the phone is a little different than someone scheduling your surgery. <laughs> and you mm. want it to be, right? So we, we allow users to custom train models for their, with their data sets in mind. So if your data sets contain a lot of stuff like, I'll give you a great example. The, the phrase we use sometimes, YAML. What the heck? You throw that at anybody's and it's going to say, well, I don't know what that word is. It's going to say Apple or something else. But being able to custom train your data really can take your your accuracy from maybe 80s to 90s. Mm. So that's one of our... I tell you, you guys are just setting me up with softballs of of you know, <laughs> selling DeepGram. It really well, is know, pretty we, cool. Well, we've been doing this for almost two years now. It's kind of our job, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could not have planned these questions any better. And you paid us, you know, so, yeah. It's really fun we, to watch. You know, like we, we even talked about like podcasting. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, hey, we should build models for people. Like if, if you all wanted to offer a transcribed version of the podcast, well, there's services you can go out there and pay. But could we use your podcasts to train models to make the transcription for your podcast super accurate and then just provide it on the fly? So the AI would listen to all of our previous podcasts. Exactly. Kind of yeah. And learn. Learn all the words that we use. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And our accents. That's yeah. cool. Even Very Caleb's cool. draw. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah, I'm that, from that, Alabama. That. I'm not giving him any grief on, <laughs> on accents. Right. I'm like, hey, y'all, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes and goes. Yeah, cool. Well, very cool. Well, 
right, we could talk about this for a while, but I think one of the things you wanted to dig into and, and I find interesting because I don't do it is actually writing C-sharp and VS Code. I've tried it and it's just not the same as Visual Studio. So help us out here. How, totally how do you go about it, Mr. Bald Bearded Builder? So, yeah, writing C-sharp and VS Code, it just feels icky, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it's not the same experience at all. So, like, when I'm building apps with C-sharp that have, like, multi-projects and that sort of thing, 100% easier for me to use Visual Studio. Just the re- even, like, adding references to other projects, that stuff is just so much nicer. But VS Code is coming a long way. I always kid about VS Code and, like, VS Code by itself is just garbage. Like, there's no one should ever use VS Code, just VS Code. If you don't use the power of extensions with VS Code, you're just wasting the whole... You might as well use Notepad, which I've done before, but it's not a good experience, right? It's just text. But with extensions, you can really take your your development to another level. And... The thing I hate is that the extensions don't work in Visual Studio because I get used to writing things like JavaScript and Python and VS Code. And then I switch back to Visual Studio and, oh man, I don't have that, you know, highlighting there and I don't have this. And, oh, it's not quite as easy to hit that RESTful API. I'll tell you, an extension that I love, it's called REST Client. And there's another one I think called maybe Thunder Client, but I like REST Client. Basically, it allows you to open up a empty document in VS Code, type something like get and then the URL of an API and send a request to that API. And it gives you back the response there in VS Code. So if you're testing a local web service, you can get or put or post localhost 3000, whatever payload, whatever kind of headers you need to send. And it basically opens up a new window in VS Code with the results, the full headers of that response, everything. So it makes like testing that super easy. Nothing like that exists really in Visual Studio. Uh, They used to have something for testing like WCF services back in those olden days when gas was $4 and we had to use WCF. And we've all hopefully come out of that period, but they had Back something Silverlight was, was exactly uh, yeah, popular. Yeah. How there dare you, you use that language on this on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, yeah, it just makes it really accessible to hit those endpoints. That doesn't exist in Visual Studio. And a lot of apps today, maybe you've experienced this. I have fewer and fewer apps that are just C sharp. Like if it was just C sharp, boy, boy, my my life would be so much easier. But so many times, like I've got this API that's C-sharp, but then I've got a React front end or Angular front end or Vue or one of the other plethora of JavaScript frameworks and all that sort of stuff. So I end up having to like play in both worlds. Mm. And as much as Visual Studio is amazing for C-sharp, it's not great for that stuff. So if there's cases where I'm working on, on stuff that's C-sharp, but I'm spending most of my time on the front end, then maybe I go with Visual Studio Code, knowing that I may have to touch a few little things in C Sharp, but most of my time is spent in an editor that's probably better for me. Gotcha. In the past, when I've done Angular in C Sharp, just like you're talking, I would do all my Angular in VS Code and all my C Sharp in Visual Studio. But my current job is actually taking me the opposite way. My job is to get us everything into C Sharp using Blazor 
So C sharp all the way up and down the stack. But yeah, it's so there's this C sharp IntelliSense extension that builds by default in VS Code. Yeah, every time I open um, up VS Code and, and open a C sharp file, it, it installs an extension for me. Is that all I need? It is. It is exactly. That, that, we mentioned that nobody wants to use Visual Studio Code by itself. It's, almost, it's worthless, really, by itself. Without that extension for C-sharp, you can't run C-sharp. If you want to write Python in, in VS Code, you can't do it without the Python extension. It just Those extensions tell Visual Studio Code how to do things like compile, how to do things like attaching to that process for the debugger, uh, all that kind of stuff. So you do have to, that's like the, like the minimal viable product. You have to have that one extension. And then everything else is just gravy. Yeah, I think I, I did start using C, um, coding in C Sharp for this project I did a, a few years ago. I think, and maybe it's improved since then, but I thought that that, that C Sharp extension was just a little bit like just buggy, that the IntelliSense wasn't perfect and all that stuff. Um, I think that's probably what deterred me from from using C Sharp just um, in VS Code, but I'm, maybe it's improved since then. I, th- I think it has, but I would make clear that if your stack is 100% C-sharp, right now, cur- currently, still, Visual Studio is going to be the best place for you. Yeah. It's just, it's just that's kind of what it does, right? Because it only has that one thing to really focus on. I mean, we can say VB, but come on, get real. It, because they can just focus on C-sharp so much, they can really optimize for that, right? But one benefit for VS Code. If you were trying to write some code that was multi-platform, you could totally do that in Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. But if you use, let's say, the remote containers or WSL, a remote WSL extension in VS Code, you can actually run that code in the environments you're targeting. You could run that stuff in a Linux container and just ensure, you know, it's it's one thing to like build for multi-platform and it's another thing to see it run on multi-platform and say, okay, they didn't just say it would build for that. It's actually mm-hmm. running on that Ubuntu. Well, you reminded me the whole WSL2 thing and running Linux Docker instead of having to run Windows. I have had to do that in the recent past. And it's, and VS Code is seamless, honestly, right? You don't even, you can't tell the difference. I mean, you still have to go into PowerShell and going to load up Ubuntu and go to the path and know how to get to where you're going inside of Linux. But once you're there, you do code space dot and VS Code pulls up and it runs just like normal. It's yeah. freaking cool. Yeah, it, what's fantastic to me about it is, uh, especially if you say GitHub as your kind of Git repository hosting, they have that code spaces feature where you can kind of pair that with that remote containers uh, extension. So let's say you're onboarding a new developer. You know, all of a sudden we can have like a development environment in a container. And we now no longer have to, I mean, you've been there when you start a new job. Caleb, you, you know this, you've gone through this recently. You're trying to build a new project and it takes you a while just to get everything installed and ready, you get the source code down and you go to build it. And it's like, oh, you're missing that API key or this environment variable. Oh man, this it's painful. Well, in this one especially because it's web forms in MVC and Angular, and they've got like thirty different projects that aren't all quite connected like they're supposed to be. So yes, I know the pain. Yeah, so you've lived this, and it can take <laughs> yes. days to get somebody where they can actually just 
compile the code. And then, and then, like you're saying, with, the, with like if you have an Angular front end, have, heaven forbid you can build it and you feel good. Then you go try to hit it in a browser. Oh, well, there was some kind of .env file that needed to have something for the Angular site when it compiled, but you didn't know about it until you tried to hit it in the browser. And Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. You know, the weirdest thing I've been running to lately, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm running older versions of Angular, not 12. And when I spin it up, I get a blank page. No console errors, no nothing. Just localhost 4200 blank page. And I looked at it and it's possibly something to do with Angular Universal, but Pod. Anyway. And a lot of times you'll find like <laughs> that, that kind of stuff is just something on your in your environment. Like yeah. maybe maybe you've pulled in a newer version of that NPM package that's not exactly the same, or you had a, a cached version of it that came in that was a little different. And that's where that remote container stuff just excels because you basically have a, a, an image that defines what the environment looks like. So every developer is dealing with the same exact environment because you're running in containers. So oh, you can already have environment variables set up. You can already have your API keys and a .env file if you wanted. You could, I mean, you wouldn't probably want to do that, but you could have things in there preceded. So someone literally just connects to a container and presses F5 and woohoo, we're, we're debugging. So I've never actually you know, tried to, to run a program in C sharp in VS Code, you know, is it? Can you just open it up and do F five? You can, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you'd probably have to. Uh, I'm not sure how they've got it set up right now. Whether it'll automatically do like a a NuGet restore, but I I think so. I think it's. I think well, I think that's just built in, right? So if you like .NET build, doesn't it try to restore first? Yeah, so that file. Yeah, right? When you hit F five yeah. the first time, it creates that file for you, the template yeah. file. Yeah. Then- so it should just be F five. Does it only work with core? Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work with full framework. Which, okay. I, mean, I say, that, I say that. Let me let me take that back. I haven't tried it. Somebody <laughs> somebody out there listening is like, oh, how dare you? I'm using full. <laughs> I've never tried it, but I haven't used full framework in a long time. Yeah. So. Wish I could say the same. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, know somebody, I, I was thinking somebody's out there going, darn it, that guy. Some guys have all the luck, you know. <laughs> well, for, for those of you out there listening who are still on framework, I went from a job which which was all .NET Core, and I'm deep back in, into framework. So I'm right there with you. I feel your pain. <laughs> We're going to get through this together. So, Michael, if you had to choose, right, like your top three or five or whatever C-sharp extensions for VS Code, what would they be? I mean, you've named a couple already, but... Yeah, I think um, some of them aren't really C-sharp related. For instance, LiveShare. Not C sharp related, but especially in in like the world we're in now, kind of with COVID and everybody working remotely, 
LiveShare enables you to start a live session with your coach, just like Visual Studio, right? Visual Studio has LiveShare. Chef's Kiss, good stuff. Definitely want that uh, if you're working on a team. If you're working with uh, GitHub specific, there's an extension called GitHub Pull Requests and Issues, which to me is a better experience than Visual Studio provides for GitHub. That's a It's a personal preference thing. It's one of those things like if you're used to working with Git and GitHub with Visual Studio, you know, you may like that layout and that feel better. Git Lens is another good one if you're, if you're using Git. Certainly, if you're having to use Docker, you're going to want the Docker extension. That's honestly, you can do, if you're using Docker, you run commands like Docker run and Docker container, whatever. You're trying to list your containers or list images, all that kind of stuff. It's so stinking hard to remember all those crazy commands. That's one of the things that's nice about that Docker extension is it helps you, it visualizes your Docker stuff. So you basically have a window with all your containers and you can see if they're running or not. And you can terminal into them. You can see all your images there and really yeah, nice, used, all your volumes. I've used the Docker on one. It's pretty it's good. fantastic for that. Yeah, the GitLens one is pretty good for that. So, so. GitLens is good, yeah. I think another that's great is probably... Hmm. Footsteps is one I like a lot. It's not really C-sharp specific, but it basically highlights changes in your files. So let's say you're working on file A, and then you go work on file B, then you go work on file C. And you know, this happens to me all the time where I'm like, okay, what did I do over there? And I have to like go back to those other files and then try to identify visually where was the line I changed and all that. Footsteps actually highlights every change you make, the whole line. And imagine like, let's just say the color purple. Say it highlights that line like a bright purple if you changed it right then. But then like the next change would be bright purple and the previous change is like faded just a little. So like- that's clever. Yeah, your last 10 changes are highlighted with various opacities of that color. Mm. So you can go back and even though you're like 10 steps deep into this thing, you can go back and say, oh yeah, there it was. I can just go really quick back to it. And mm. it's, it's amazing how, how much of a time saver that is. You don't realize how much time you spend just eye scanning. Mm. Some, of those, some of those files can be god awful long. Mm. Oh yeah. Especially if you've closed it down. That's the worst. But it, it retains all that. It makes it really nice to, to navigate. Very cool. I like, I like, I like uh, Git History. Have you tried that one? Looked at that one? No, I haven't tried that yeah. one. Git history lets you search and, and uh, do a lot of things, compare branches. So it comes in real handy for me. That sounds like Git lens a little bit. A little bit, but uh, it definitely does more. Oh, nice. You, you know, know I, I like Git lens because I can see who made a change six days ago and can, mm-hmm. can figure out who screwed the code up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I use Is it usually you, though? <laughs> yep. So I use well, both Git lens and <laughs> oh. Git history. It has been me. Recently, it's been a lot of other people. <laughs> but all the Azure extensions are awesome. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I've oh, yeah. They do fantastic. Multiple job. of them, but they're, they make it super easy to publish, right? Mm. You know, or deploy or whatever. I'm using them for some of my uh, static apps mm-hmm. yeah. um, on their platform. They do a really good job with their extensions. There's there's another one. If you use this, a lot of people don't use it. I don't understand why, but GitHub Gists, they're fantastic for like just keeping code snippets. And that can actually be multiple files in a gist, but most people it's just one. But code snippets and that sort of thing to keep it, 
there's an extension right. that allows you to manage, view, edit, add those right from VS Code without ever having to go in, go there. Just use the command palette and uh, create oh, that's great. Yeah. The real I've, game I've, changer on it, though, is the ability to insert from a gist. So sometimes, I, place I worked at previously, we put the same kind of boilerplate code at the top of all of our files. It's like copyright kind of stuff. And rather than ha- hand typing that or going and finding where it is on my network, copying and pasting that in or opening another file, <laughs> copying it out of that file and pasting it in, you can just do command P and say, insert text from gist. And then it gives you a list of the gist. You choose the one you want and it inserts the contents of that right where your cursor is, which is pretty slick. You made me think of a uh, extension I've used a good bit. It's called setting sync. And mm-hmm. what it does is it actually that, yeah. uses your GitHub just to save a list of all the extensions you have in VS Code. So when you go to another computer, right, it automatically pulls them down and you don't have to, to go back and, and do it yourself. Yeah, that's really good. And I think, I don't, I don't even think you have to use that extension anymore. I think they ah, bake okay. that in now. Uh, and you can use like your you GitHub account. Into Video Studio now? It, you can either use your GitHub or Microsoft account. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good deal. Baked in. That would make sense. Microsoft is making you log into everything these days and try yeah. to integrate everything. It's really there. nice because I switch from my laptop when I want to work on the couch or outside to my desktop in the office. And it's great, like you said, because it not only brings like your settings like fonts and stuff, but it brings over the extensions you have installed. It brings over all that kind of stuff. Font mm. choices, whatever. Because Lord knows there are so many settings in VS Code and the different mm-hmm. workspaces, user or global, and 300 different checkboxes and trying to get that consistent between everyone on your team. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. Do you think there's a, like a, like, is Visual Studio Code designed to have as many extensions as possible? Or do you reckon there's like a performance? Like it starts to get clunky after you have too many. Because I, I kind of install extensions like I install apps in my on my phone. I'm always like, oh, is, am I going to use this so I can remember to delete it if I don't use it kind of thing? Uh, but I'm just not sure like what, what happens if I just install too many. The only time I've had issues is where I install extensions that kind of conflict with each other. Like if you yeah. had something like Prettier installed for keeping your JavaScript nice and tidy, but then you installed like ESLint and installed, mm. you know, something else. There's... Or there's like different versions, like uh, Vitor. If you're using Vue, maybe installed Vitor, which kind of does yeah. some prettier and ESLint stuff. So it's like they're conflicting and that I've can be there. a nightmare. I have mm. been there. And then you have to go in, like I said, you have to go into settings and you have to tell which one has preference or dominance. Yeah. Because I've run into that that exact issue. How many extensions do you have installed right now? You know, Michael? I it's, it's, it's funny that y'all mentioned that because I, I go through and kind of prune uh, I've never noticed it causing like <laughs> any kind of performance delay or anything. Yeah. But I was thinking you had like 40 or something with all the different things you do with the stream and YouTube and all that. So, so. so it depends on when you catch me. So we actually <laughs> built a VS Code extension on stream one time. Uh, it's called Twitch Themer. And basically, if you stream, uh, it connects to your Twitch chat and users can change your VS Code theme from chat. They can do like exclamation theme space Dracula. And it'll, you know, it'll turn your theme onto Dracula, right? 
And there's the ability to install a theme. So if, if, some, if you don't have it installed, somebody wants to theme install Synthwave 84, they can do that. It installs it and can turn it on. When I have that running, when I'm streaming really consistently and that's going, I'll have hundreds of themes that it doesn't slow anything down. But after a while, I just, I feel so gross having it. So I'll, I'll have that's like a awesome. purge day where I go delete all my themes. If, if you take out my themes, I'm guessing, I can't count all these, but I'm going to guess I've got about 30 themes, okay. excuse me, extensions. But that's kind of tricky to say because like remote containers, that extension. There's also mm -hmm. a remote SSH and a remote WSL, I think. Well, right. those come in an extension pack. So if you look in your list of extensions, it shows as like four different things that each of the individual ones and the pack. But I almost consider that the same thing. Like it's just different targets. And it also a depends lot of, on how many languages you... Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, like, exactly. I've got so, of Ruby that I used to put on a Ruby project and that, so... Yeah, and yeah. that's one, one, one good use case for that remote containers extension is because you can define, hey, when somebody fires up this code base in the container... Already Which, install um, the Ruby extension, install this extension. You know, if your code base has Vue, go ahead and install the Vitor extension and Prettier extension and that. So that person doesn't ever have to install a single extension. It's just mm -hmm. always there when they're using it and then it goes away when you're not. My VS code says, I, yeah, mine says I have 38 extensions. So, and uh, I don't notice any slowness, you know, well, a lot of them are like Angular and snippets and things like that. And just little things that help out. Seems to do fine. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, I think we should probably move on to picks. What do you guys say? Good time? That sounds right. good to me. We, right. we don't want to keep you know, Michael here for another hour. He's, he's got more important things to do, right? Yeah, I'm going to go wash my hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Caleb, what's your pick? Oh, okay. So my pick is actually a food uh, this time around, which we I don't think we do a whole lot of food, right? It's kind of bars. So my wife grabbed some of these from Sam's a few months back, and uh, I really liked them. They've got energy bars and protein bars and stuff. And I'll typically eat one of their bars like in the afternoon, right between lunch and dinner. It tides me over, gives me a little extra energy to get through in the day. And they're they're tasty. They're they're not like, you know, the mealy oatmeal, which I know some people like oatmeal, but the grain stuff, it's they're they're actually worth eating for me. So that's my pick. The guy that started that is on Shark Tank every once in a while. So Oh, okay. Yeah, if you, I don't know if you watched that show. So I watched it years ago. I didn't know it was still on. <laughs> <laughs> you should, okay. You should get out more often, Caleb. Yep. I should. I should. But, you know, COVID, if I walk outside, it's going to kill me. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Why? What's your pick? All right. So, this is an audio book, actually. I'm still actually listening to it, but um, it's just a random pick off Audible. Uh, it's called Daisy Jones and the Six. It's basically like a, it's about a fictitious rock band in the 70s and, you know, all the stuff they do, drugs and sex and all that stuff. I mean, like, like podcasts that, are, that aren't just some guy, like, reading the, you know, the book. It's, it's kind of like a 
it's, it's kind of like a play. Like there's there's all these characters and they'll speak about it and 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 they tell the story through a series of interviews. Um, yeah, so I'm listening to it right now and um, yeah, it's really entertating. So I thought that'd be my pick. All right, all right, Michael, what's your pick or or picks? Yeah, yeah. Pick so one. I'm going to give you two. One is for if you're a parent with a kid who like loves to build stuff, like whether it's Lincoln Logs, Lego, whatever. It's a it's like a subset of Lego. It's Lego Mario stuff. And if you haven't seen this junk, it is amazing. I've been spending the last two months with my little five-year-old. We build stuff every single night. And what's ama- what's different than Lego is that all those characters from Mario's world, the little Koopas and the whatever they all are called, they all have those characters there, but they're not like normal Lego figures. So like Mario has like Bluetooth on him. He's got like a like a QR code reader on it. So like when you build one of these like turtles or something, they have QR codes on their back. So when he jumps on them, he has like a speaker and a, an LED screen on him that like goes off and gives you the sound effect like you jumped on him in the game. If he stands on top of red bl- bricks, it's like the same sound effects from the games when he's in lava. It's really stinking cool. And they, they put it together where you can basically build Mario levels and you go through them in order and, you know, hit all the blocks. It's smart enough to know, like, if you if you jump on a ghost character, you get hurt. But if you jump on a star, which makes you invulnerable, and then jump on a ghost character, it, you get the little coin effect. You killed the ghost. It is really slick. It's, it's, it's way too advanced for my five-year-old, but maybe maybe they're more for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it's for the kids. Do you watch Lego Masters? No, no. Oh, yeah, you should check out that show. Maybe that should be on my pick. Now, is that one, the one where they like to do like the Star Destroyers and stuff like that, the big stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, it's a TV show where it's competition. So it's a reality show competition of building Legos. And they have a challenge, different challenge each week and things like that. So like one week a little bit ago was uh, like Smash and Derby. So they had built you know Lego cars that could oh, wow. stand running into the other people. Or they have all sorts of different little themes that they'll have throughout the show. So... Oh, that's really neat. It's it's pretty cool. So I think it's on season two. Yeah, it's uh, on season two now. Yep. Yeah. I used to love Lego when I was growing up, but but this the way they did this Lego Mario it just took it to a different level. When you can, you know, actually, it's almost like you build Mario levels with the Lego. And, that's cool. And walk it through. It's really interactive. Really cool. It's definitely more for you than for the kids. <laughs> Oh, that's sure. Okay. There's a lot of nostalgia for me, you know, because <laughs> you'll hear little sound effects and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that sound effect from, you know, right. 30 years ago on my original Nintendo. But pick yep. number two, since we talked about streaming, pick number two is a Twitch streamer called White Panther. And it's, I think it's W-H-I-T-3-P-4-N-T-H-E-R. Amazing streamer. Uh Sama does a great job. She's really big on on building projects that uh, help with diversity and inclusion in the tech space, which is super needed. But yeah, I would really recommend checking her out. She streams a few days a week. Cool. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use uh, Lego Masters as my pick. So, (laughs) you know, it's so much different than when I was a kid. All you really had was square blocks, long blocks. Everything just was a rectangle. So from now, you know, all the different things they got with Star Wars and different themes, yeah. that kind of stuff, you know, it's amazing. But it was still lots and lots of fun when I was a kid. I had Legos for my kids. So I like uh, watching them, uh, you know, they start from the beginning 
And they only have like four hours, six hours, eight hours, depending on what the task is to build these things. And sometimes they're, they're pretty impressive. So yeah, check out that show. That's really cool. All right, guys. Mm-hmm. Good show. Thanks so, for coming back again, Mike. Uh, Michael, how, how best uh, to reach out and touch you? For lack of a better term, <laughs> get in touch. I, I, I'm married, Caleb. Um, it was Kobe, probably so Kobe many terms, Caleb. <laughs> COVID, Caleb. Oh, hey. yeah. As long, as, as, long as you reach out from six feet away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's Bald Beard Build, uh, and then everywhere else, whether it's YouTube, Twitch, uh, it's all Bald Bearded Builder. Instagram, all those are a little longer. Yeah, certainly would love to have everybody join our Discord too. It's a great community of people that just literally help each other all day with not just coding issues. It's, it's really fun to see the support everybody has for each other and what they built there. Cool. All right, guys. And if our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. little extra stuff there. You know, I'm, I'm on a roll today. I'm trying to reach out and touch Michael. I might as well add a little extra to to the sound effects for you. And for me, they can find me at uh, Caleb Wells Coats. All right, guys. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of AdventuresIn.net. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.